When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best they could with stuff that's rattling around my head and things I picked up along the way. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take questions of the day and try to answer them as best I can. Today is Sunday, Palm Sunday. We're going to do the liturgy of the palms at church and reflecting on that as we get ready for that experience. If you could have any any celebrity join you in your Palm Sunday procession, who would it be? I think I'd pick Richard Simmons. He has this kind of like enthusiasm that as a kid I saw and just thought it was so weird when I'd see him on the screen. Now there's like a billion fitness influencers out there, you know, firing everybody up. But Richard had this kind of joy, I remember, and just was so strange as a kid because there was nobody in my life that was like him. And so I, I, I wish he could join our Palm Sunday procession today. I don't know if you have a celebrity that just exudes enthusiasm, the kind of wild enthusiasm that celebrates life and every drop of life and encourages other people to do it. I always feel like I'm that guy at Palm Sunday processions. It's early in the morning. People are, you know, dragging themselves into church. They're there. They're getting ready. And you hand them these palms that aren't even real palms, usually the ones that you know, they fold up into crosses, the wispy long pieces of, I think it's a kind of grass actually. Um, and you got them there and, and you're like, Hey, wave those a little bit, please wave those. Everybody wave them. Um, so I'm sort of the Richard Simmons, I guess, in all the churches I've been in today at St. Joan of Arc, we're going to use what the Bible actually says to use. Um, you can use palms of course, and those things you get you know, in the mail order catalog at church are not palms or I think a kind of grass, as I mentioned earlier. But you can also use palms because John's gospel says people use palms, branches of palm. But Mark and others um, just say they grab branches from the fields, like just stuff from the fields. I don't know, green stuff from the fields. So we're in Texas, so there's plenty of that. Texas is a Similar climate to Jerusalem uh, in that we have early springs, it gets warm here, and stuff starts getting green even at this time of the year. Unfortunately, all the palm trees around here are completely dead. Uh, the freeze killed them. Now, some of them are probably going to come back to life, but right now, if there's any palm trees with leaves on them or branches on them, they're completely brown and brittle. The freeze just sucked the life out of them. What happens in a freeze? We had several days of seven degree temperatures where we lost power and all sorts of other things, water, heat, and seven degrees, that's pretty rough. And during that time, the cellular structure of palm trees and even cactuses, because it happened to them too, they have a lot of water content. So the water freezes, the cell walls burst, and then the, the leaves die really fast. It happened with our cactuses. It looks like the cactuses got exploded from the inside, just blown apart because that they, they expand when they're frozen and they break. Kind of like if you put a Dr. Pepper can in your freezer, um, you'll find it all over your freezer. 
that's kind of what happens with these succulent plants like cactuses or other moisture heavy uh, plants like palms. So uh, our palms are pretty sorry and sad here in Texas today, but we're going to use green branches that we find around and we're going to wave them in procession. Uh, the Bible's description of what is happening on Palm Sunday is uh, is really, the, you know, from the prophecies in Isaiah, pointing to this idea that Jesus is going for his final showdown with the temple authorities. Um, it says in the Isaiah passage we read today, he has set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. He's like going to Jerusalem. There's no turning back at this point. And he says, who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me, who will declare me guilty. Who will declare me guilty is the, the, the unanswered question hanging in the air. Jesus is going to the showdown that he has been going to for three years. Throughout his ministry, he's told them again and again, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And he's even hinted that he will rise from the dead. But all this is lost on this Palm Sunday because he tells them to go get these this donkey and they go out and get a cult that had never been ridden. Now, I've seen enough Western movies in my short life to know that you just don't go and get a horse or a donkey or a cult and just like bring them, put a saddle on them and jump on them. Um, I've never done this myself, never broken a horse, but I've seen enough movies the montage of getting up, falling down, getting up, falling down, um, or even the the uh, stories of the ancient world of Alexander the Great. Uh, they have this horse that they've captured that is untamable, Bucephalus. Like, you know, there's no one can ride this horse. And Alexander the Great, as a kid, jumps on the horse, rides it around, doesn't even have to break it. Like, he breaks it just by jumping on the horse it becomes like his true companion. He builds a huge tomb for the horse when it dies. Bucephalus names a city after the horse, I think, somewhere in his conquest. But um, this idea of like the the master taming the wild beast, you see this also in more recent shows like The Mandalorian, where the Mandalorians have some sort of power over wild animals. And so Jesus is here with this technically wild animal. It's a domesticated animal, but it's never been ridden. And he declares his mastery over that, over the animal kingdom, the wildness of the animal kingdom. C.S. Lewis famously said that we are the Christ to the animals, just as Christ is God incarnate and is the connecting branch of God to humans. He is the one who is our mediator. He's the one that stands between us. He's the one that connects us to God in a deeper and fuller way. So we are Christ to the animals. And as I was practicing this sermon this morning, my cat, just like I looked over and he's passed out. Here I am pouring my heart out, passionately practicing. And I look over and there he is sleeping. So I hope I'm a Christ to my animal, my cat, Blue. And I hope you're a Christ to your animals. And yet here we have an even more direct connection of Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, to this cult, uh, who gets to be useful, gets to do his job um, for the first time on this triumphal entry. Pretty cool when you think about how the kingdom of God affects everybody, even the animals. And while we will wave palm branches today in our um, celebration, 
in most most churches or maybe online. Uh, the cloaks are the actually the bigger deal. Uh, they take off their cloaks. They put these cloaks on the their outer garment. That men would wear two garments: an inner garment, an outer garment, tunic. And they put the outer garment, the tunic, on the colt, um, and then they lay them in the street. They spread their cloaks on the road. So the Messiah and his donkey kind of ride on their cloaks. It's a pretty powerful symbol of we want to roll out the red carpet for you, literally, the carpet of our clothing. You can walk on that. We don't want your feet to get dusty and dirty on the path. Pretty profound honor and reverence. It does seem like the people that are coming out to see him are enacting some kind of drama that they are ready for. This is not just some uh, thing that happens sort of spontaneously. It's sort of in the zeitgeist or whatever. It's in the air. The people sometimes behave certain ways um, because they're ready for them. And you can see that it's happening in this triumphal entry as well. People are treating him as if he is the king. Now he's riding a donkey. In, in peacetime, Jewish kings rode donkeys. They didn't ride horses. And so Jesus is going into the city, which is really a powder keg. Every year at Passover, the Romans who are occupying this area and in control of it would increase the number of troops in the fortress of Antonia, which is right next to the Temple Mount, kind of overlooks the Temple Mount. The fortress of Antonia would have been garrisoned with with probably real Roman soldiers, like actual Roman soldiers from the army, uh, the, one of the legions that was stationed in Syria, and probably also the auxiliary troops, which were uh, part of the Roman army, but were somewhat different. They were usually more local, so they would have been from Syria um, and had a lot of like mixed feelings about Jewish people. The Syrian troops are notorious the Syrian auxiliaries are notorious in Roman history for being extra racist towards Jewish people um, and hating them. The closer you are to the group that you hate, the more you hate them. And the more similar people are, often they um, have more anger and more, more prejudice against them. So this is the powder keg that many have described Jesus is walking into. In the city of Jerusalem, there is a ruling elite represented by the Sanhedrin mostly, or at least the Sadducee party. The Sadducees were Jewish um, people that were a lot more uh, familiar with with Gentile culture, with Greek culture. They um, were not conservative by any means in the sense of trying to return to the one true faith that was given by Moses to God's people. The Pharisees were definitely more interested in that project of like reforming the faith, getting it back to a more pure form, and yet the Pharisees had gone along and cooperated with Rome as best they could. They had protested a number of things, but the Pharisees were not trying to overthrow Rome. The, the people, it's hard to know what everybody thought, but the poorer you were in that culture, the poorer you were in Jerusalem, the more likely you would have been excited about Rome leaving. Uh, it was easy to blame all your problems on Rome. And not just on Rome, but on the Jews, the Jewish leaders who were cooperating with Rome. Not, not just the tax collectors, the publicans who are basically contract workers for Rome, collecting taxes and extorting their fellow Jews as Jewish people themselves, but also the temple elite um, and Herod and his king, kingdom, 
Herod is a quasi-Jewish king. He pretends to be one, but everyone's rather cynical about how Jewish he is. And yet, at the same time, like these elites in, in Jerusalem are fully aligned with Rome for the most part. Um, there's a Roman governor, uh, Pontius Pilate. Um, he's been sent to keep order in this Mediterranean province of Judea. Um, one that had already had some trouble. There had been revolts before, but things had been fairly peaceful. I say fairly peaceful. There had been attempts at revolt, but Rome had crushed them quite quickly. And so this is the powder keg that Jesus is walking into. Um, and so the people that are lauding him and saying, Hosanna, or God save us, God save us, God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You see echoes even of his birth narrative, the angels singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. People are seeing him coming as the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. That is what Messiah really means, king, um, in the sense that they would have um, seen that word embodying. He is not a Roman emperor. He is not just another King Herod. He is, in fact, the one, the Messiah that was promised who embodies not just the, the leadership of the political world, but also the priestly role um, that he would have carried with him. And so there's a lot of excitement that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. Not everybody agrees with this. Um, only, only this group of people that has come out to celebrate his entry. But he does this. He doesn't sneak into the city. He comes in rather boldly. And this is so seems that out of keeping with how Jesus has behaved for the last three years. For the last three years, he's laid low, especially in the Gospel of Mark. He's told people, don't tell anybody about this miracle. My time is not yet here. It's not my hour. It's coming. It's about, and now it's here. All the Gospel narratives slow down for this final week. And I think it's a call to us to slow down, to ponder what happens in this week. Um, If you don't have a church this week that does Holy Week, and does, does it up big. I mean, by doing it up big, I mean they like have something on every day of Holy Week, or at least on the last three days, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, find one that does. Even if you don't agree with everything they do at that church, find one. Because by walking in this the way of the cross, you will discover something about this week that Christians have discovered all the way down through our history, that Jesus is showing up in a new and profoundly radical way, that his confrontation with the temple authorities, which will result in a trial, which will result in his being handed over to the Romans as a traitor to Rome, and that's why they crucify him. Um, All of these things, and then his final resurrection, which starts a new era of life on this planet. All of this is happening in this week, and it all starts with this donkey, and with this, uh, you know, procession and this exuberance. So today I feel like the donkey, probably more than anybody else in the story. Uh, I'm just here to carry Jesus into the city. Um, Jesus will always behave and act as Jesus wants to behave and act. That's not my job. My job is to just bring Jesus where Jesus needs to be. Jesus belongs in this city, this place of conflict, this place of healing, this place of incredibly profound symbolism, the temple. Jesus is going there, and I want to carry him there. I want to be this little cult 
that just does his job and brings Jesus to where Jesus needs to be. And I hope that you can be that too for someone. Invite someone to church this week. There is nothing weirder than our rituals in Holy Week. There is nothing stranger for people that have never experienced our kind of Christianity, like Episcopal or Catholic Christianity. Um, Bring them into that. The first really non-fundamentalist, non-evangelical service I ever went to uh, was in college, in Bible college. I went to a church, a Presbyterian church, which I thought, I wasn't even sure they were really Christian because they weren't, you know, our brand of Christian. They weren't a Bible church or a Baptist church. And I wasn't really sure about them, but we had communion on Maundy Thursday and it changed my life, changed my life. Um, it, it, I realized like, oh, they, they've got a pattern of worship. They're enacting this like Last Supper in a way that I've never seen done before. Um, just full of rich meaning and symbolism and and mysticism even. And that was something I was looking for in my young life, in my 20s. And I know that people are looking for that. So invite them into that this, this uh, Holy Week. Um, don't be afraid to do that. You're, you're giving them a gift. You're, you're the donkey that's going to bring them Jesus. And so let us enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. Let us go into his courts with praise. Let us cry out today, God, save us. God, save us. And you know what? He will. Amen.